come before you today. Truly we pray that your word will speak powerfully to us. That uh, tr- we will understand what you truly mean by the Ten Commandments. And how it works out in our lives today. And just how important it is for our relationship to you. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, anybody here would like to enjoy the good life? I'm sure we all would, right? Anybody want to enjoy the bad life? Okay, put out your hands. Now, I'm sure we all want to enjoy the good life. And that's why, when you go to all the major bookshops, you know, like Kinokuniya or Borders or Popular, MPH or Times Bookshop, they're filled with books about good living. Right? You know, you can always recognize them because, you know, they have all these bright, attractive covers and they have all these really interesting eye-catching titles, and they're always displayed prominently right at the front of the store. And there are all these books, stacks and stacks, row upon row of books on successful living, good living, rich living, fulfilled living, blessed living, easy living. Now, any of you ever buy those sort of books about living life? Uh, Maybe you don't, but I do, right? And I've got a few of them at home, and I've read quite a few of them. But it's really interesting because when I've looked at all these books that I've had and I go to the bookshops and you look at all these rows upon rows of good living books, the one thing you notice is that there's never a book about good living based on the Ten Commandments. You ever notice that? You go to the bookshop and there's never a book about you know, how to be a successful leader, successful life based on the Ten Commandments. Which is really strange you know, when you think about it because Deuteronomy 5 as we read it today, uh, the Ten Commandments is actually about the Israelites having a successful life when they enter into the Promised Land. So if you look up here at this slide, right, to remember the context, right, they're over here on the side east of the River Jordan, they're about to enter the Promised Land, and in the book of Deuteronomy, we have three sermons by Moses, and he's telling them, look, this is what you need to do as you enter into the Promised Land, and the key is in chapter 5, verse 32 to 33. So turn with me to uh, chapter 5, verse 32 to 33 in uh, Deuteronomy. Right, and look at what it says here. He says in verse 32, 33, So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. So when you think about it, actually, in many ways, what we're reading here, the Ten Commandments, is an instruction by God given to His people that as they enter the land, if you follow these laws and you, and you adhere to them, then what will happen to you? You will have a successful life. You will have a blessed life. You will have a life which God wants you to live and you will possess this land for a long time. Now, the big question for us is, how does that relate to us as Christians, right? Because obviously, we're living in Singapore, and not to say that Singapore is not the promised land, okay? But it's obviously very different from the promised land that God was giving His people back then. So how do we live it out? How, what principles can we get out of this? Well, I think there are lots of principles that we can get out of this. Because as we look at this passage, God is still the same God, right? God is a God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the way he relates to people is the same as well. And what pleases God is also the same then as it is now. Okay, so let's look at this quickly. And you might ask, why am I going so quickly into it? It gives you a clue, it's a long sermon, right? Okay, so let's look at chapter 5, verse 1. And I want to draw a few principles which I think are really important for us as we live here as God's people. So chapter 5, verse 1. 
Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. Now the first thing I want to point out to you is the basis for a good, good life, I think, a successful life that God says here in verse 1 to 5 is a relationship with God. It's a relationship with God. And you notice here that it is God who establishes a relationship with His people. So you look at the passage again, right? It says here in verse 2 and 3, The Lord our God, He, God made the covenant with us. We didn't make a covenant with God. Right? God initiates a relationship with His people. It says there in verse 4, God spoke to you face to face out of the fire in the mountain. Now that doesn't mean that God has a face, right? Okay? But what it means is God has a personal relationship. He's initiated a personal relationship with his people. And now that he has a relationship with his people, he says, you must obey this law. Okay, and I think that's such an important principle because the Ten Commandments is not us trying to please God and have a relationship with God or establish a relationship with God. No. The Ten Commandments is actually a response of a relationship that we already have with God. And I think that's so important because I think for so many people, we look at the Ten Commandments and we think that, you know, the Ten Commandments is such a grind, you know, it's such a drag. Because I'm, I'm trying to do all these things all the time in order to impress God. You know, some people think, if I do the Ten Commandments, I will have a relationship with God. But that's completely, completely wrong. Because it is because we already have a relationship with God, therefore, He wants His people to obey the Ten Commandments. And I think that's the same thing for Christians. You see, we do not have a relationship with Jesus because we do all these good things. Rather, it's because Jesus has a relationship with us. Therefore, we now live as new people. So you look up here in this slide, 1 John chapter 2. Look at what it says. He says, And now, dear children, continue in Him so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of Him. John chapter 14, If you love Me, you will obey what I command. So you notice that we are first children, and because we are children, we will then live a righteous life, because we are now part of His righteous family. And I think that's so important, isn't it? Because it changes the way we look at the Ten Commandments. We don't do the Ten Commandments or we don't follow the laws and rules and regulations so that we can have a relationship with God. No, we already have a relationship with God. Therefore, we will want to please God by living righteous lives. Now, when you look at me, right? I'm quite a neat person. You notice my shirt is ironed today and uh, my tie is knotted up real properly right now. Before, uh, when, when, when my wife first met me, when I was in university or just started work, okay, I was not like this at all. Okay, I, I don't think I combed my hair at all. Right, uh, my shirt was never ironed. Or if I did iron my shirt myself, you should see me. You know, when I first started work, it was never ironed properly. Right, it was all this 
creases and lines everywhere. I would, you know, when I'd be at home, I'd never make the bed. You know, why do you need to make the bed? Because you're going to sleep in it again, right, later tonight, right? Okay, you throw your socks and clothes on the floor. You know, it doesn't matter what, because you know, why, why put it in the basket? Because you know you're going to put it in the washing machine anyway. But then after I got married, I changed, right? I changed, you know? I make the bed, I don't know, very neat. I put everything in its place. Why? Because now I have a relationship with my wife, Cheryl. Right? And I think that's the same thing, you see. As part of this relationship I already have with my wife, I change my behavior. I change my behavior because of the relationship I already have. And that's the same thing, I think, when it comes to our relationship with God. We already have a relationship with God. Therefore, we, we live in a certain way to please God. And that's why when you look at the Old Testament, right? When you look at the Old Testament, so many times it talks about how people enjoy the law. They, they delight in God's law. So here, you look at Psalm chapter 1. Look what the psalmist says. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight, right? He delights in the law of the Lord and on his law... He meditates day and night. See, why does this person delight in the law of God? Because he already has a relationship with God. And I think that's the thing I want to, the point I want to bring through to us. As we read the Ten Commandments, you know, do we, do we want to obey God's law? Do we want to follow what God is saying? Well, we want to if we have a relationship with God. Do you have a personal and loving relationship with God? Do you see yourself as His child? Because if you do, then it will flow itself in obedience. It will flow out in obedience. See, being a Christian, being God's people, is not about singing songs or just going to church or being a member in the church. It's about obeying God. That is the response that we make to God because we have a relationship with Him. See, obedience flows from the relationship we already have. Okay, so... That's the first thing I want to point out from this. In the Ten Commandments, do not come so that the Israelites can be having a relationship with God. No, it flows from the relationship they already have. Same with us. If we love God, if we, ha- if we are His children, we will choose to do what is pleasing and righteous before God. Now the second thing I want to point out comes in verse 6, which is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Now look at what it says in chapter 5, verse 6. Chapter 5, verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, that's a bit surprising, right? Because the first line of the Ten Commandments is not really a commandment at all. It's not commanding you to do anything. In fact, it's a, it's a, it's a declaration, it's a pronouncement, it is a statement. And it's a statement about who God is, and it's a statement about what God has done. So who is God according to verse 6? It says that I am the Lord, your God. Right? It's the who is God. God is not some God who is somewhere out there, but it is a God who has a personal relationship with His people. But not only that, in the second half of verse 6, God, because of being their God, brings them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And I think this is so important, isn't it? Because we must remember that previously... The people, when they lived in Egypt, uh, next slide, 
Paintings like when they lived here in Egypt, they were in slavery, and then only three months later did they receive the law. And they were in slavery in every way, right? They were in political slavery, national slavery, economic slavery, social slavery, spiritual slavery. They were enslaved in every way. So you must remember um, the story of uh, how Pharaoh put to death every male child that was born. Do you remember that in Exodus? Every male child was to be killed. Every male baby was to be killed. Whereas the, the, the female babies were to be kept alive. Now, could the Jewish people say, hey, no, we don't like that. You know, we're going to vote you out, Pharaoh. Right? No, they couldn't, right? Because they had no political freedom. They had no national freedom. The whole reason why the male babies were to be put to death was so that the Jewish people as a people would no longer exist as a people. They had no economic slavery. When Pharaoh said you had to go out and find your own material to buy your, to make your own bricks, they couldn't join complain to the union, right? No, they just had to accept what Pharaoh said. Pharaoh said, you must worship me and you are not allowed to worship Yahweh your God. See, in every way, they were enslaved. So this passage, verse 6, actually shows us that it is God's grace that comes out of that to them. And therefore, in response to God's grace in saving them out of Egypt, they are to respond with obedience. You notice that? Grace comes first and then obedience. And that's why someone once said a very interesting fact. He said, living God's way is not about earning God's favor. Right? Living God's way is not about trying to win merit of God or doing good works. See, winning Living God's way is about saying thank you to God. It is a lifelong thank you to God for the grace that He's already shown. So the Ten Commandments is not the Israelites trying to impress God or win merit of God or win God's favour. They already have God's favour. But it's a response to God's grace because God saved them. Now today as Christians, God has also saved us. I mean, He didn't save us politically or nationally or socially. But He saved us in a very different way. He saved us from sin and judgment and death. He set us free in Jesus. And the same way, we live our life in response to this grace by obedience. See, in Titus chapter 2, right, it says the same thing, right? For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So grace has already come, right? Grace comes first. This grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that is very own eager to do what is good. See, notice that again, the principle. Grace comes first, and in response to grace, says we must live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And that's exactly what happens in the Ten Commandments. God saves the people first out of Egypt, and then He gives them the Ten Commandments and says, Obey, follow, listen, learn. And that's why I can't quite understand when people say, you know, Christians say, Oh, you know, nowadays we don't have to listen to the Ten Commandments. We don't need to follow them. 
right? Because, you know, today we're living by grace, but in the past it's all about law, right? Because I think when you look at it, actually, the principle has always been the same. God gives us grace. In response to grace, we must obey. That's what it means to live a godly life. Right? God is generous to us. He saves us. He frees us from sin, from slavery, from death, from judgment. And therefore, we must obey. And that's why, when uh, you look at uh, the Ten Commandments, nine of the Ten Commandments are taken by Jesus and the New Testament writers and actually reapplied to Christians in our present context. Only Sabbath is the thing that uh, is not really taken up by the New Testament, but everything else. In fact, Jesus takes many of the, um, the, the, the Ten Commandments and, and heightens and sharpens and makes it even stronger than its original context. So it shows us that actually obedience is not something that we throw away, that we forget about as Christians, but it's something that is still important to us. Because as we receive grace, as we have a personal relationship with God, the response must still be obedience. We can't just do what we want, the way we want, and what we want to do. Now, I think part of the reason that we don't like the Ten Commandments, and that's why you, when you go to the bookshop, you don't see many books on it, it's not so much because the Bible says, oh, you know, as Christians, don't worry about the Ten Commandments, but it's really the mood of, of, of mankind. You know, it's sinfulness. It's, it's really sinfulness. Now, last week, I was reading a Today paper, and uh, there's a, uh, I don't know, uh, whether you've been following it, but this is um, uh, this thing that's been happening in the, the news about whether parents should be reading the Facebook uh, uh, um, uh, accounts, right? Facebook, what do you call it? Uh? Uh, be friends, that's right. Be friends with their children on the Facebook. Okay? So people are saying, no, la, you know, children are saying, no, no, you know. Uh, I don't want my parents to be my friends because I don't want them to see what I'm doing. I don't want them to you know, have see my photographs or me being stupid or silly or doing something illegal. Right? Anyway, so anyway, so people have been writing in. And then someone wrote in and said, get out of my Facebook parents, something like that, right? Very provocative title. Uh. And then this guy said, oh, you know, uh, we shouldn't let parents look at their children's Facebook picture, uh, uh, pages. Why? Because young people need to be empowered. They need to be empowered to do what they want to do. That's what, I mean, I'm, I'm quoting what it says. Lah. Actually, I have the newspaper, but I think someone threw it away, so I can't find it anymore. But that's exactly what it says. It said, you know, I wrote it down. It says, they, 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 want to, they need to be empowered to do what they want to do. And why should they be empowered to do what they want to do? Because it will make them contented. And contented people make happy people. That's what it basically says. So, why shouldn't parents look at their Facebook uh, pages of their children? Because children need to be empowered to do what they want to do. Because when you're empowered, you'll be, you'll be contented. And when you're contented, you'll be happy. And you see, that's what the mood of, of today is, isn't it? The most important thing for us is to be empowered to do what we want to do. Why should we have any rules and regulations? Why should we obey these things that people tell us to do? Because the most important thing is when we're empowered, we can be contented. When we are contented, we can be happy. How different the Ten Commandments, isn't it? Because the Ten Commandments says, because of God's grace to you, because of your personal relationship which God initiated with you, you need to obey. Right? Don't worry about empowerment. Don't worry about contentedness. Don't worry about happiness. Just obey. And I think that's why it's so important for us that as Christians, when we look at this passage, 
We don't say, oh, just because I'm Christians now, ah, yeah, ten commandments, who cares, lah, right? I just do what I want to do. No, that's the spirit of the age. That's not what the Bible says. Now, you notice here, there are ten commandments, right? So, I thought, well, you know, I could be preaching one hour per commandment, then we'll be here till tonight. So, I thought, okay, no point doing that. I'll just pick three commandments which I think are really important to us as Christians, which, because I think when we look at this, there are, many, there are some commandments which, in particular, uh, we, we forget as Christians, which we don't think is so important. And I think the first one is very important for us, verse 7. Chapter 5, verse 7 says, The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods beside me. That's what it says there in my footnote, right? It can be, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall have no other gods beside me. And what this commandment basically says is, uh, literally, you shall have no other gods before my face. Right? Uh, that God is saying, there is, is this commandment about loyalty to God, your love for God. Right? That there should be no other things that you give your heart to before God's face. There should be not, no rival to God in your life. Because our relationship with God is an exclusive relationship. Right? Our relationship with God is a permanent relationship. It doesn't allow for anything else to vie for our love and loyalty with God. Now because uh, the second commandment talks about idolatry, some people think, oh, you know, uh, it's only if I have idols in my house or if I you know, bow down and worship other gods, then God, I'm putting a rival before God. But actually, when you look at the New Testament, it explains that God says that anything else that takes our love away from God is a rival to God. Anything else that takes our loyalty to God, takes away our loyalty to God, actually breaks the first commandment. That's why in Matthew chapter 16 it says, no one can serve two masters. See, the idea of serving it right, takes away the loyalty that we deserve to give God. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, money uh, can also be a tangible form of idolatry. Right? It can actually vie for our love for God. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed, which is idolatry. See, here you can have something which is non-tangible. That means not physical, right? Uh, greed, which is just a feeling, which can actually vie for your loyalty and love for God. And that's what this commandment is all about. Because our relationship with God is such that we must not allow anything to come before us and God. See, the relationship between ourselves and God is like a marriage, you know. Uh, when I married my wife and she married me, we, we agreed right, that we would give our love to one another and to no other, okay, no other person. And if some other person tried to break into our relationship, then what is the right response? The right response is jealousy, isn't it? Jealousy. Because jealousy is where someone else is trying to steal the other person's heart away from you. And that's the way God reacts when, when we give our loyalty and love to something else. That's why it says there in verse 8, isn't it? You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, 
on the waters below, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And a jealous God. And you can only be jealous if something that belongs to you is taken away, isn't it? Right? Uh, I mean, I can't be jealous, right? Uh, oh, no, actually, I can't use myself as an illustration. But let's say you, you just have a friend, okay? And your friend says, oh, you know, I don't want to spend so much time with you, I want to spend some time with somebody else. It's not appropriate for you to be jealous, right? Because your friend's heart doesn't belong to you. Your friend's heart can belong to numerous people. But in, a, in an exclusive, permanent relationship, like say between ourselves and God, or in a marriage relationship, yes, there can be jealousy because that person's heart rightly should belong only to one person. So I love this illustration that I heard from this pastor. Now imagine, uh, after this, we go and eat lunch or something, and we go out to some dessert place, and we order a big cake. We order a big cake. And maybe there are four of us. All right? So we cut the cake into four. Okay? And then we offer the cake to someone. Okay? And we say, oh, we, I don't know, would you, would you like a piece? How, how much would you like? And the guy says, or the girl says, I want all the cake. And you might say, well, I'll never go out with this person again, right? Okay? Because here we, here, you know, actually everybody deserves only one quarter, and here the person wants the whole cake. Right? But that's what God is saying here, isn't it? God is saying He wants all your heart. He wants all of you. That is what the first commandment is all about. You shall have no other gods before my face, before me. He wants all your being. And that's why Jesus, right, when he was asked, what's the first commandment? What did he say in Mark chapter 12? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So let me ask you, have you given God all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength? Or is there a rival to God in your life? Because really, when you become a Christian, that's what people attack, isn't it? They'll say to you, must you read the Bible all the time? Must you always go to church? Must you be so fanatical about being a Christian? Right, you know, it's okay, it's good to be a Christian once in a while, but don't be so fanatical, right? And what's happening is they're attacking the first commandment. They're saying, why should you love God with everything? Why can't you just give God a little bit? And I think as Christians, we take that on board. We say, yeah, maybe, maybe we shouldn't give God everything, isn't it? Maybe we should just give God a little bit. So I was reading this book uh, not too long ago. Actually, I'm still reading it. It's called Dr. Ga- by Dr. Gary Smalley. And he's a, this, he's a very famous marriage a counseling guy. He's got lots of books on marriage. He was a pastor before. And he writes in this book how when he started building a new house, right, and when his career started going and he started selling all these books and getting really rich, he found that his relationship with God was dying. Because he spent all his energy, all his heart loving this new house that he was building. So much so that he wasn't actually giving much attention to God at all. His, his God, his idol was this house. And I think that can be the case for some of us, isn't it? Like We give ourselves and our life and our heart and our energy to something else that becomes a rival to God. And God says that's not right. Because He's shown us grace, because He's, he's built this, uh, this personal relationship with us, He will not 
tolerate any rivals in our life. Okay, that's, that's the uh, first commandment. The next commandment I'll look at is the Sabbath commandment, which is the fourth commandment. So turn to me to verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, originally in the book of Exodus, uh, God said they must keep the Sabbath day. Why? For themselves, to remember God to rest, because God rested on the seventh day when he created the world. But now, as you look at it, uh, in verse 14, as they enter the land, they must also rest so that their maidservants and manservants may rest as well. So it doesn't just become a, a personal thing, it's a societal thing, right? The whole society must rest, because once they were slaves, and they worked all the time, but now they don't work all the time, because God says they must rest. Now the problem for us as uh, Christians is, uh, many of us will say, well, you know, the New Testament actually doesn't take the Sabbath rule and apply it to us any day. I mean, nowadays, right? In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, right, which is up here, Hebrews chapter 4, it says that um, God actually gives us a Sabbath day to look forward to the Sabbath rest of heaven. It says that, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later of another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following the example of disobedience. So now he's saying, look, the Sabbath rest actually look forward to heaven. That's where we really, really rest, right? So many Christians will say, well, you know, no need for Sabbath, lah. right? Okay, we, we don't need to have Sabbath anymore. Where got Sabbath, right? And now, I think that uh, it's true. We don't keep the Sabbath the way, like if you go to Israel today, you know, they're very serious about the Sabbath. You, you know, you can't press the lift button. You can't cook on the Sabbath. You can't walk a certain distance. You know, they're very strict on the Sabbath. No, I don't think that applies to us anymore as Christians. But I think that the Sabbath is actually still a benefit for us, not just as Christians, but as people. As people. See, Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, right? He says, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So that means that actually Sabbath is made for our good, isn't it? It's made for us. I know that uh, I've, been reading, uh, I've been reading up and they said, you know, the communists, when they came, right, they wanted to break away from all these religious things. So I said, why do we need six days rest? Uh, six days rest. Six days work, one day rest. I said, the communists said, we'll work nine days and then rest one day. But then they found that it didn't work. In the wartime, I, I, I learned that they would work the factory seven days continuously. People would just work, right, keep working. 
But they found that they could actually produce more if they worked six days and rested one day. You see, I think that when you think of the Sabbath, we don't keep it as Christians the way the Jews keep it, like, you know, no pressing lid buttons and all sorts of things. But the rest is good for us. The Sabbath is good for us. God made the world in such a way that we are designed to rest. I think we all agree, isn't it? But I think the problem for us today is we're all workaholics, right? We're all workaholics. We have our Blackberries, we have our iPhones, we have our emails. Right? Some of you might be working even now during the sermon. Who knows, right? Okay? You never know, right? People are looking at their thing. You know, they might be looking at the Bible. Who knows? Maybe they're replying to their boss. You never know, right? Okay? And the thing is, but the thing is, see, we need to rest. And actually, rest reminds us that there is more to life than just work. There is our relationship with God. Because when we rest and we take a break from work, we say, okay, this is important to God. Let's step away from work. Let's read the Bible. Let's spend time with our family. Let's pray. Let's give thanks to God. Now, I remember uh, when, I was, uh, when, I, when I first started doing my uh, chartered accounting exams, right? Uh, they used to tell us, you know, only two out of three of you will pass. That means one out of three will fail. And I remember telling my pastor, I said, oh, you know, I'm going to have to work on Sabbath, you know. I can't come to church sometimes. And he said, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. You know, that's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. He said, you know, you should still work six days, but you should take Sunday off. Right? You should, you know, you should still come to church, come and have lunch with us, spend time with your girlfriend, Cheryl, right? Uh, you know, read your Bible, relax, you know. And if God wants you to fail, you fail, right? <laughs> and then, sure enough, so I, I, I know, then I said, okay, I trust my pastor, so I know I did it that way. And I, and I, I never failed one exam. Right? And all my other friends who worked seven days and struggled and slog, they were the ones who failed. Not to say that this, you know, this proves this principle, but I think it's true, isn't it? That ultimately, God has made us so that we will rest. I remember listening to this uh, psychiatrist and saying, you know, one of the major problems for today is people having depression and mental problems. And you know what it is? Because of stress. Because we are, we are working all the time. And I think that we need to come back to this and say, no, you know, we can't work all the time. We need to come back to God. We need to obey what God has says about what is good for us. We need to rest, listen to what the Bible says, to be obedient to Him and to trust Him. Because so many times I've met people who uh, take on board you know, part-time study or what, then they start studying and then they don't come to church and then they don't rest. And after all this time, they lose their faith but they gain a degree. But what, what point is that? Is that what God wants of us? No, I don't think so, right? So I'm not saying don't study, right? but I'm saying keep the Sabbath, remember God in the day, be rested. And remember that that is where we're going to, is it? The Sabbath rest. Now, the last uh, command I want to look at is the, is the very last one, the 10th commandment. And in verse 21, is the 10th commandment. It says, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, this commandment I wanted to concentrate on because it is so different from the other nine. You see, this commandment, people cannot see. See, you look at your neighbor now, right? Turn to your neighbor. Can you tell if your neighbor is coveting? You can't, isn't it? Can you tell if your neighbor is coveting your watch, 
or your glasses or the expensive t-shirt or your car. No one knows because it's all inside. You can't go to a court of law and say, oh, you know, I saw that person. He was coveting. He, he was really coveting. Right? <laughs> because you can't see. Right? But I think that it's so important because coveting is literally lusting after somebody else's property. That's what it means. I lust after something which belongs to something, someone else. His property, his wife, his house, his car, you know, her bag, her watch. I don't know. But it doesn't belong to me, but I want that. Now, the problem today is that in churches, you know, we, we, we don't take this command seriously. The idea of uh, uh, internal sin of coveting, of wanting something that is somebody else's. So, you know, you can be elder of a church, you can be a deacon, you can be a pastor of a church, and you could be a very covetous individual, but people don't care. Now, I remember listening to a, a speaker at a prosperity gospel, right? And he was saying, oh, you know, he saw this house. And he claimed this house from God. And God gave him that house. And also I think to myself, that's coveting, isn't it? Because when he saw that house, it belonged to someone else. And he wanted that house. And he, and he claimed that house for himself. Isn't that coveting? That's coveting. He wanted that house which didn't belong to him. And it was somebody else's. And I think that, you know, that's what we need to learn. That as Christians, right, God sees the inside, not just the outside. And that's why Jesus, when he came around, he kept telling the religious teachers of the day that you are hypocrites because you're only interested in the outside, but you're not interested in the inside. But when you look at the Tenth Commandment, God is interested in the inside. He doesn't care what happens on the outside. I mean, he does care what happens on the outside, but he, he realizes that it's the inside that is just as important as the outside. And Jesus used this principle of coveting inside and applied it to murder, remember? He says, if you hate, that's just as bad. He applied it to, to, to adultery. He says, if you lust, that's bad. And I think that that's what we need to learn, isn't it? That obedience is not just outward obedience, but it is inward obedience, internal obedience. So how is your heart right now before God? Do you obey God in your heart, inside, your motives, your desires, your thoughts, your attitude? Or do you just put on obedience on the outside? Now to close, I want to say that um, we will never be perfect in obeying the Ten Commandments. Right? We will never be able to keep it perfectly. And that's why Jesus came. Because Jesus came because he needed, he needed to give us forgiveness. He needed to forgive us for when we do break the Ten Commandments. But that doesn't mean that we, we just forget about the Ten Commandments because we still need to take it seriously and to try to follow it in our lives. Now conclusion... I said that, you know, if you go to all the bookshops, you'll see all these books on successful living, you know, wonderful living. And all of it, when you read them, is basically practical advice, right? Positive thinking, right? Planning, time management. But when you look at what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, what is the secret of successful living? It is to have a relationship with God. It is to have a personal relationship with God and to receive grace from God. And that's open to us in Jesus. But once we have that personal relationship, once we have received grace from God, that doesn't mean that we can just go back to living life the way we used to live, just you know, kick up our legs and forget about it and relax. No. It means that we still have to obey God. God is a jealous God. He will not tolerate having rivals 
in our heart before His face. God is interested in what we do. God is interested in what we think, what we use our mind for, what we use our strength for, what we use our heart for. So as you reflect today on the Ten Commandments, really ask yourself, is your life filled with obedience? Because if it isn't, then do you really have a personal relationship with God? Do you really treasure the grace that God has given you? Let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving Heavenly Fathers, we come before you today. We really want to, to thank you for the grace you've shown us in Jesus. That you reached out to us first to establish a personal relationship with us. And we pray that we will truly, truly value this relationship that we have. That it must be an exclusive and permanent relationship. That there may be no rivals in our life before you, before your face. That we would take the whole idea of spending time with you seriously and having rest. To remember the Sabbath rest that we look forward to. And also that we will look deep within our hearts and to recognize that what happens on the inside is just as important to you as what happens on the outside. That our obedience to you will not just be on the surface, but deep down in our heart. Our thoughts, our desires, our attitudes, our wants, our loves, that they will all, that they all bow the knee before you. And that everything in our life will be given to worshipping and serving you. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.